This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, the Pacific's top under-23 men's soccer teams compete for a place at the Olympics, except for one nation who was late to the event. Meanwhile, Vanuatu's beach volleyball sides rest their Olympic hopes on the Continental Cup. Continental Cup and Olympic qualification is what our program is and our team is uh, aiming for. And a festival of footy is brewing in Port Moresby ahead of Rugby League Grand Final Day. All that and more today on the show. I'm your host, Kyle Evans. Thanks for joining me. But first to the World Game, where a chorus of condemnation has been levelled at Papua New Guinea Football Association after it failed to attain travel visas in time to send PNG's under-23 men's soccer team to an Olympic qualifying tournament in New Zealand. The failure to do so saw the team lose the tournament opener to New Zealand via forfeit, putting their Olympic hopes under threat. The PNG FA has apologised for the incident, but for many in the sport, including PNG's own senior men's captain... It was one mistake too many. It might have been the easiest win ever for New Zealand's under-23 men's football side. Their victory was literally handed to them after Papua New Guinea's representative team failed to make it to the opening match of the OFC Men's Olympic Qualifying Tournament in New Zealand. The PNG Football Association have blamed visa issues for their absence, but for many, including PNG's senior national men's captain Alwyn Komalong, it sounds all too familiar. It didn't really come as a surprise. People were already sort of calling it, so to say. So that just goes to show like what the what the sentiment is and the culture is like. But I guess it's just frustration that sort of boiled over. And it's happened before in the space of a year. We've had the 17s not going at all, the under-19s also um, going very late to their tournament. The under-19 women went with partial teams. So it just... I mean, it's starting to become like a pattern. Um, it's sad. It's sad. I feel for the players, especially because, you know, these are youth, they're kids, the under 17s, all the way to the 23s. It's, you know, it's, you're at a point where in your career where, you know, you're really trying to get yourself out there and representing your country is one of the best ways to do that. And then to be denied that opportunity is obviously must be very disappointing for them. The team finally arrived in New Zealand on Wednesday, four days after their first match was set to go ahead. It didn't come without punishment either, with FIFA, the international organising body, handing them a 3-0 loss via forfeit. PNGFA's General Secretary Gordon Manoop told Pacific Beat the team's visa applications were submitted too late. I think that's one thing that we've learnt, that there's certain timelines that we, as a sporting organisation, need to understand the laws of countries that we travel to and the timelines that they put. I think we were in the view that it was five working days or five to ten working days that we needed um, to... Well, we were in the understanding that we needed that time frame to apply for visas. And I think the t- actual time frames for those visas that we applied for was a bit longer. It was the, the timing of when we applied for and the actual processing times of those visas that uh, did not allow us to travel on the days that we were supposed to travel to play our first match against New Zealand on Sunday. In the face of heavy criticism from media and people within the sport, Mr Manoob says it won't happen again. 
The only issue that we had was the visas. But in saying that, I would like to say that it's a one-off incident and it will not happen again in the future. And we're, we're working towards that. And that's one of the points that we place to FIFA also in our show. Because not that we would like to make sure that we're on top of things to give confidence that we our ability to also be planning our tournaments well in advance and getting our teams not to come to face these kind of issues. And uh, we've basically been able to talk to New Zealand immigration also to understand their processes so that we can also work towards making sure that when we're preparing for these tournaments that are held in countries out of the MSG, that we're able to have visas prepared in advance but some inside the sport have already lost patience. Earlier this year, Lay Biscuit Company franchise owner Ian Chow pulled the sponsorship plug on PNG's National Soccer League premiers Lay City FC because he was tired of how the game was being run internally. He says there's no excuse for the under-23s not making it to New Zealand. Like, this is OFC competition. You get the calendar at the beginning of the year. I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, the FIFA competition is the most important. Meanwhile, Alwyn Comalong says an area that PNGFA must get better in is transparency. I think there's just a a general narrative at the moment that PNGFA is battling with. And I think the best way for them to really get ahead of it is to communicate things better and show show the public and people that they are worth having confidence in them. And information has to be published better and um, a bit more maybe transparency and everything. I mean, that's why people people are up in arms because there's literally nothing coming out. And then what does get published is um, a story that the under-23s are not going. PNG's under-23 side will play their first OFC Olympic qualifying match against Fiji on Saturday. Despite the forfeit to New Zealand, they can still keep their tournament hopes alive with a win. Mr Comalong says they shouldn't be counted out just yet. You know, in these situations, there's a lot of different factors at play that can affect their psyche, um, the late travel, the media around it. You know, this all it all really affects them. And I think for them, the best thing that they can do is really just go out there and put in a performance in. And as I would say, if I was in that position to shut everyone up, just, you know, go out and do your best and play your hardest. And if the result doesn't come your way, then it doesn't come your way. That was PNG Senior Men's National Captain Owen Comalong ending that report. And as we just heard, it will be interesting to see what kind of Papua New Guinean team will take the field when the OFC Men's Olympic Qualifying Tournament continues this weekend. I imagine they'll be eager given the week they've had, but so too will the team they'll be facing, Fiji, who will also be searching for their first win of the tournament after falling to New Zealand 3-1 in their opener on Wednesday. Fiji's under-23 men's team have qualified for the Olympics once before, having won this same tournament back in 2015, and they are hoping to do so again under the leadership of head coach Robert Sherman, who joins us on the line from New Zealand now. Robert, welcome to the program. Good morning, Carl. How are you? I'm well, thanks, mate. Now, firstly, as we just heard from uh, senior PNG men's captain Owen Comalong in our package, uh, they said PNG probably shouldn't be counted out despite the tumultuous week they've had. What kind of team do you expect to face, and uh, how are you guys preparing? Well, we always anticipated playing two games, so um, you know nothing's changed in that context, and so uh, and we've uh, you know we expected two difficult games uh, with uh, you know tough opposition, so nothing's changed in that context. So, uh, 
you know, we'll just carry on as we planned. I've always believed uh, there are times when adversity can can bring teams together. Have you found that to be the case uh, in, in your, your history as a soccer coach? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, sometimes when you're, you know, you're um, deemed, I suppose, maybe the lesser opponent or whatever, that's good, good motivation. And uh, and also, you know, when sometimes you're faced with uh, difficulties, that galvanizes the team into action. So, you know, it it might be a good motivator for the uh, PNG team. I think in some ways we probably just saw that happen in the in the Women's World Cup uh, with with Spain. Given you know they obviously had some issues with with their coach prior to the tournament and uh, and went on went on to win the thing. So yeah, no, you you, you never know. Um, now let, let's talk about this tournament. It is starting to ramp up. We have uh, we have two pools consisting of uh, of four teams, or one of which now has three. Given American Samoa has pulled out uh, of the competition, can you explain a little bit about uh, how the format works will there be a, a knockout stage after this yeah so i assume that oh well, actually the, the top two in each group will go through to the semi-finals a, a term you know the winner of one group will play the runner-up of the other and vice versa and then there'll be a final you're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Kyle Evans and I'm chatting with Fiji under-23 men's coach Robert Sherman about the OFC Men's Olympic Qualifying Tournament taking place in New Zealand at the moment. Now, Robert, uh, we just touched briefly on American Samoa who have withdrawn uh, from your pool. So does Sunday's match uh, against PNG effectively determine uh, who goes through to the next round? Yeah, absolutely. So, um Given that uh, New Zealand were give, uh, you know, awarded the win uh, de facto, um, they and they've beaten us, so they have six points. So no one else can uh, achieve six points. Obviously, PNG are playing one game. We've got one game remaining, so the most we can get is three uh, for both of us. Uh, however, because of the the score difference uh, that was awarded against PNG, a draw would see us go through. So. Uh, at the very least, we need a draw. Obviously, we'd, we're, we're aiming for a win, but we, a draw would see us go through. Yeah, so uh, a, fair, a, fair, a fair bit of pressure um, in in some ways. You guys have already played the one game already, obviously, uh, against New Zealand. Uh, how have the boys fared so far? Oh, very well. Um, you know, they were to, we started off very brightly. We had a very dire six minutes in which we conceded three goals. Uh, we rallied at half time, addressed a few issues, and the boys played very well in the second half. So, Actually, you know, the first game that they've actually played as a group, um, there was lots of pluses to take out of that. Obviously, the result wasn't what we wanted, but actually there was a lot of pluses. So, you know, we're moving forward with, uh, you know, in a good space. Ah, that, that's good to hear. Is it a relatively uh, a new crop of players, this group? Yes. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. So, um, you know, from my own perspective, obviously, I'm not familiar with the players in Fiji. So, uh, relied on the local coaches and local staff to help recruit. We pulled uh, an extended group in um, in late July, early August, uh, whittled that down slowly to the final selection group. And uh, there were five players based in New Zealand who joined us as well. So uh, so basically, it's a completely new group of players. And uh, and what about yourself? Uh, where, where did you come from? I understand you're relatively new uh, at the helm of the Fiji uh, under-23 under side. How are you finding the experience? Um, it's, it's, you know, I've, I've, I've been coaching for an excess of 40 years. So the, in terms of the sort of process, it's no issue. Obviously, I've been technical director at um, the Welsh FA, Australian FA, New Zealand FA, and coached through that period with various teams. But um, obviously, Fiji is a new experience for me. So um, 
but one with enormous potential. The, uh, the the country itself and the sort of administration are very progressive. They've got some very good things in place in terms of development, and they're very keen to um, you know have the sandwich effect, if you like, in the sense that uh, you know top down, bottom up. So um, it's a good organisation to be involved with. Yeah, look, a lot of talent does come out of uh, Fiji. We actually had uh, Trina Davis, uh, who's a Fiji national women's player, on our show a, a couple of weeks ago, and she was she was great to speak to. Has a, uh, a pro, well, a potentially a, pro, a professional contract uh, brewing uh, with the Wellington Phoenix. Um, given yeah. that that uh, that Fiji have actually won the tournament once uh, back in 2015, um, was there is there a bit of expectation on you to to do well in this tournament? Um, I'm not sure, really. I mean, from my own personal perspective, I, you know, I have high expectations on myself, so uh, that doesn't change. Um, you know, we, we're, it's a once in a four year tournament, the under 23s. I am the man's, men's national head coach as well, so you know, the World Cup is the priority if I'm candid. So it's an ideal opportunity to look at players, um, and the under 20 World Cup was the same. So you know, we get to know the younger generation coming through, and obviously that will enhance and endorse the team selection moving forward for the, the 2026 qualifiers. So, you know, the whole process is, is quite timely. Yeah, and I did want to talk about that that Olympic um, competition as well. Obviously, uh, the Olympics in soccer is just limited to uh, to under-23 players. Just for those who don't follow soccer, why, why is that? I actually don't know what the rationale is. Seeing that the women is a se- <laughs> the women's competition is a senior competition, I, I suspect it is as a stepping stone, you know that um, it gives opportunity for players to gain experience before they move on to you know full international. No, no, fair enough. And uh, and what would a, an Olympic qualification uh, uh, mean for Fiji? I think it would be an enormous, um, enormous step and enormous uh, benefit. Um, obviously. From a football perspective, it would, you know, um, raise the profile, uh, and also I think from a national perspective, just having, you know, a, a team participate in the Olympics would be fantastic for them. And uh, and just lastly today, Robert, obviously game uh, against PNG uh, this weekend. Um, what happens after that if you do manage to win? You'll you'll then go into the knockout stage, where I take it it's going to be uh, cutthroat games from there on out. Yeah, absolutely. So it will be knockout. You know, I. I Without judging, I think the Solomons have won uh, a couple of games. So I think the, the Solomons might win that group. Vanuatu also doing quite well. So probably one of those two teams in the semi final. And then, well, then who knows? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, that's it. the great joy of um, tournament football is you don't know who's coming next, really. You, you know, it's one of two. <laughs> Just quickly on those other teams, who's impressed you the most so far? Well, I did watch the, you know, I went to watch the Solomons Venuatu. I've seen the Solomons because they participated in our Tri Nations tournament back in uh, May. And, uh, you know, they, they look as though they've progressed well. Um, but I think, you know, there's a, a, a decent level of um, standard across the whole nation. So ultimately, everyone's a challenge and uh, can't be taken too lightly. Oh, look, we, we can't wait to see what happens. happens. Uh, Robert, thanks very much for joining us this morning uh, on Pacific Beat, and, and good luck uh, this weekend with your upcoming match against PNG. Thank you, and good to speak to you. Likewise. That was Fiji Under-23 men's coach Robert Sherman talking about the OFC Men's Olympic Qualifying Tournament uh, taking place in New Zealand as we speak. And they'll play PNG on Saturday for the right to advance to the next stage of the tournament. Meanwhile, in the other bracket, the Solomon Islands secured their ticket to the next round with a win over Samoa on Thursday. Samoa, meanwhile, will now face Vanuatu with the winner booking 
uh, booking the, to book the other spot uh, in that semi-final. It's that time of the morning to take a look at the big headlines making news around the Pacific. And joining us to do that this morning is Pacific Beat executive producer Evan Wazuka. Evan, welcome back to the program and happy first day of spring to you. Uh, yeah, happy spring, uh, Kyle. Uh, although the weather doesn't seem fully <laughs> spring yet, but I am, I am happy that the winter has come to an end. It's spring and uh, looking forward to summer as well. No, it has been a long one, that, that is for sure. Now, Evan, uh, here at Pacific Beat, there's been lots of buzz around security treaties across the Pacific. Uh, now there's a new one on the horizon, it seems. That's right, Kyle. And yes, security buzz seems to be the theme of the year because we... We saw that uh, Solomon Islands had a security deal with China back in April of last year. And then at the start of this year, we saw Australia's own uh, security treaty with uh, Vanuatu. And that's been causing troubles for Prime Minister Ishmael Kalsakau. Uh, and then we had Papua New Guinea with the United States. They had a security agreement. And that's also causing um, issues right now with the opposition in PNG uh, attempting to go to the Supreme Court to challenge that uh, that treaty, uh, but now Fiji has signaled that it will sign a defense treaty with uh, France. Uh, so that came out yesterday. Now Reuters, the uh, news agency, is reporting that Fiji's cabinet have discussed a cooperation agreement with France and they've approved a status of forces agreement. Uh, a statement from the Fiji government said this agreement will provide a framework for cooperation and assistance through military exchange and sharing of expertise between Fiji's military forces and the French Defence Force. Now, Kyle, the next step is for the defence document to be signed. When exactly that will be isn't certain. Reuters has sought comments from the French embassy in Fiji, but there's been no comment uh, to that uh, request. Uh, So Fiji and France, they had started negotiating the status of Forces Agreement back in 2016 under the Bainimarama government. It's now progressed to the stage where it's been approved by the Fiji government and we expect that to come into play soon. And that comes on the back of um, Emmanuel Macron, the French president's visit to the region earlier, uh, was it last month? But it was sometime um, uh, in the past couple of months. Defence treaties, defence deals, defence cooperations, lots of different terminology, but they all seem uh, to amount to pretty similar things. It'll be very interesting to see uh, how that one uh, is received uh, across the Pacific. Uh, let's move on now. Uh, while leaders of the Melanesian Spearhead Group rejected West Papua's membership bid, they have agreed to do something about New Caledonia's bid for independence from France. Is that right? That's right, Kyle. So uh, the leaders of Fiji, Solomon Islands, Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, uh, they had met in Port Vila the other week for the MSG, the Melanesian Spearhead Group Leader Summit. Now, they've agreed to write to the French president, Emmanuel Macron, to say that the MSG member countries, they don't recognize the result of the third uh, referendum, uh, which was held in December 2021. Now, that referendum had rejected New Caledonia's um, uh, the the participants of that referendum uh, rejected independence uh, from France, yeah, that uh, option they had during that referendum. Now, Radio New Zealand International is reporting that the letter is one of the outcomes from the MSG meeting. Now, FLNKS spokesperson, Victor 
Tutorongo told uh, Radio New Zealand Pacific that pro-independence groups are continuing to protest that a referendum result. Now, if you remember back then, that referendum had been boycotted by the local Kanak population, mm. uh, and this was a result of um, uh, they insisted that they were mourning the deaths from COVID-19 and they wouldn't participate in that uh, referendum. Um, Mr. Tuturongo said that they would continue to protest against that result of the referendum at the International Court of Justice and also they're seeking the Melanesian Spearhead Group to help them push through with the United Nations uh, to raise this matter at the UN level. And finally, Evan, we know that tuna is a big money earner in the Pacific and Fiji's government have made an important decision. That's right, Kyle. Yep. As you said, tuna is a, is a, uh, up to $7 billion per year is generated through the tuna fisheries industry all across the Pacific. Now, Fiji's cabinet have agreed that um, it will now go to parliament to ratify um, the agreement on fisheries subsidies. Now, this is a World Trade Organization agreement uh, and that focuses on environmental sustainability and um, uh, this this World WTO uh, agreement came into place uh, last year and Fiji and Australia had really pushed for it. Uh, the, main, the key thing about this agreement is that it tries to tackle overfishing by curtailing um, subsidies. So this is the uh, subsidies the governments pay for the tuna industry. Now, the Fiji uh, government is stating that subsidies, if not controlled, will contribute to overfishing and lead to illegal, unreported, unregulated fishing in Pacific waters. Uh, so it's, uh, it's part of the Fiji government's way to try and protect fish stocks in the Pacific and within its own waters. Um, so that's where we are with that fisheries uh, agreement. Yeah, interesting. Look, sounds like a, a prudent move, and it would be interesting. Inter- interesting. Uh, sorry to see how that uh, how that does play out when that all comes into force. Uh, Evan, thanks so much for joining us for News Wrap this morning. Thanks, Carl. And Carl, before we head off, the other day we were talking about the lunar moon because over the last couple of days we've had we've seen massive moons, super moons. There's a super moon and a blue moon. Mm-hmm. You've seen the sky has been lit up over the last couple of nights. And I did mention that there were warnings around uh, spring tides and king tides in Kiribati and in other parts of the Pacific. Uh, But uh, so far, so good. There has been no major uh, issues with uh, king tides. And um, over in Samoa, there was some minor uh, rises in tide around Upolu and uh, the meteorology department within Samoa. They had gone out and they checked out the area and um, oh, there was only minor uh, cases of uh, inundation, but nothing major. So good news all across the Pacific, it seems. No, that's that's great to hear. And just on the supermoon, uh, quickly, did you catch a glimpse last night? I did. And it was, yeah, it was quite impressive, just like the Perth Observatory had said it would be. I saw it as well. It was no, it was beautiful. I went out there with my partner and our cat. Actually, it uh, yeah, it, it, just before I went to bed, I uh, walked away from the basketball World Cup, might I add, which is a very hard thing for me to do. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm so glad I did. It truly was. Uh, it truly was spectacular. Um, Evan, thank you again for joining us for Newswrap. Thank you, Kyle. In the Fale is a brand new music show on ABC Radio Australia. Hosted by me, Paola Tukefu. I'll be spinning my favourite tunes from dancehall to disco, calypso to country, reggae to roots, and hip-hop to house music. From across the era to keep the kids and the aunties happy. If it has a pumping groove, 
I'll be bringing it to you to bump you into the weekend. In the Fallen, Fridays at 4pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Well, Vanuatu will be among favourites when the Pacific Games gets underway in November. But for, but for its beach volleyballers, the most important tournament is about to commence. The country's men and women's teams will compete for a place at the Olympics when the Continental Cup gets underway in Port Vila today. It will be a new qualification pathway for the country, whose women's team just missed out on the Olympics back in 2021. This week, the Pacific caught up with some of Vanuatu's Olympic hopefuls. It's like a dream. I love to be like representing my country. It's like an honor to be up there representing Vanuatu. To come on World Camp, I won the bronze medal twice. It's a big achievement. At the moment, uh, the girls are trying to qualify for 2024 for the Olympic in Paris. We have a chance here in Vanuatu for the Continental Cup. The journey to the Olympic is a it's a big journey because um, you have to go through a lot of like, qualifications. For us, we have the belief, like, we have confidence, and we have trust on each other that yes if other country can make it to the Olympics yeah we can do it every time when you have competition it's like in the other countries so now we have a change that we have the continental cup here so we have to train and then like show our families that you're gonna give all our best in this event creates a lot of uh, good things between like, the men and the women when we're training together because we don't like see that in other countries like there were men and women training together but here is a when I try to create a good team and everyone stays together and yeah we build everything together here's the thing has to change you disguise your play and use the front half and the back I'm working like I'm a police officer, so it's difficult to me to come to training and then walk. I do my training and coach the under 14 and also work with disability. Sometimes I need to prioritize my time. You know. For me, I love to play with volleyball because uh, I like to share my skills with the kids. It's good to like show them that we can teach them our new generation for beach volleyball and show them an example that they can do it too. If we can, and they can do it too. Players Majibel Lawak, Mila Pata, Manuel Maki and Tabeam Leduin speaking there ahead of the Continental Cup, which begins today. And there'll be no shortage of pressure either with team president Debbie Masilvakula telling me teams will need to finish in the top two to keep the Olympics within reach. So the Continental Cup is part of the Paris 2024 Olympic qualification pathway. So each uh, confederation has uh, their own Continental Cup. So there's five Olympic rings. So each confederation will have their own one championships and the winner of that final championships will 
have their one Olympic berth. So that's um, five positions from the Continental Cup phase. The other way to qualify for the Olympics is uh, top 17 at world rankings and then uh, obviously the host. So that makes up the 24 to, to go to the Olympics. So you can try to qualify either top 17 or you can try to qualify through your Continental Cup pathway. So we're trying to qualify through the um, Continental Cup pathway. Under Asian Volleyball Confederation, they have uh, five zones as well. And each of those five zones, including Oceania, which Vanuatu, Australia, New Zealand, and all the Pacific countries come under, Oceania will have their, their cup. And the the two winners, first place will go straight to the Asian Cup final and the second place will go to the Asian Cup semi-final. And then um, they'll they'll face all the winners and the other zones in the Asia. And eventually they have the Asian Cup final and then the winner of that goes to the Olympics. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, a journey. This year all of the five Asian confederation zones will have their championships and I think Oceania is the last one to, to host. And we have countries coming from New Zealand, Australia, Solomons, Papua New Guinea and Tuvalu. So each country in the Pacific is has invitation to to attend, but they are the six countries that have um, have agreed to attend. It sounds like it's going to be a, a stacked tournament. So just to clarify, essentially, you guys must finish top two. Is that right? That's correct, yep. And you guys have both men and women's teams competing, I understand. How do you think they'll go? Uh, this is a, yeah, this is a double gender event. The winner of the last Continental Cup goes directly to the final. So the Australian men's uh, won the last Asian Continental Cup and they went off to Tokyo Olympics. So the Australian men's won't be here. We'll just have uh, a New Zealand men and um, Solomon's Tuvalu, Papua New Guinea and Vanuatu. So, yeah, I think um, we have a good chance of getting in the, the top two there. And obviously for the women, we have uh, New Zealand and Australia. They'll be our toughest competitors. So, uh, yeah, I think um, it's uh, that'll be strong competition from those countries and we'll see how our girls compete against them. But um, home advantage is a... Is always a good thing. Yeah, and, and speaking of you girls, I know there's been a, a few tournaments so far in, in the last couple of months. I know the Asian Senior Beach Volleyball Championships uh, took place in China recently. How, how's the form from your teams been like going into to this tournament? Yeah, so we've got some new pairings. Mila Pada, the senior player, she just is on maternity leave at the moment. So we have some new pairings getting their feet, getting competition, um, experience, uh, young young girls. So that's really good that we've got the next generation of the, the young girls coming through. The, our number one team of Marsha Bell, Lawak and Sheshlin Toko, they um, won the Pacific Games and um, our number two team, they actually won the mini Pacific Games last year. So they're competitive. So I think it will be a strong competition. Does the Pacific Games have any bearing on Olympic qualification at all, or is it is it very much the Continental Cup that's uh, that's the important event? Yeah, I think for us at our level, um, Continental Cup and Olympic qualification is what our program is and our team is uh, aiming for. Vanuatu Beach Volleyball President Debbie Masubakula speaking with me there ahead of the Continental Cup, which kicks off today.
To Cricket Now, where a chance to feature at the ICC T20 Women's World Cup is currently up for grabs in Vanuatu. National teams from Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, Cook Islands, Indonesia and Japan will square off when the East Asia Pacific Qualifying Tournament hits off today. The winner will progress to the global qualifiers next year. PNG will enter as favourites, having gone unbeaten in five matches so far this year. Vanuatu, meanwhile, have won three, with their only two losses coming at the hands of PNG. However, Skipper Selena Solman says recent form might not be a fair indicator given some of those teams I just mentioned have not met since 2019. We had Pacific Cup in VG, but then some of the teams that we played, we haven't played them since 2019. So, yeah, this is the first one after the Pacific Challenge in VG. How's the preparation been going in? I remember ahead of the Pacific Challenge, it was just after the Cyclones had hit Vanuatu. There was a lot of disruptions and things like that. Has the team had a chance to get together properly this time around and, and properly prepare? Yeah, it's been quite challenging. So after the Cyclone, we lost our coach. But the past few months, it's been really good that we finally got together and everyone started training together. So it's been amazing. Yeah, it's a really interesting tournament, this one, because I believe it got cancelled last time because of the pandemic and PNG went through by default. Do you think there's going to be a real added hunger among a lot of the teams this time around, given, you know, it's the first time they've had a chance to qualify in a number of years? I think so. I mean, everyone's been looking forward for this tournament because after the tournament, uh, we haven't played an actual qualifier yet. So, Mm. I mean, everyone's going to be wanting to qualify for the next qualifiers. So, yeah, everyone is just going to go for it, give the 110%. So, yeah, just on the tournament, how's the format going to work? Is it is it going to be like a round robin or is it going to be a, like a group format tournament where you win and you accumulate points and you play off in a grand final? How many games do you sort of have to win? I think it's going to be a, just a round robin, like whoever leads win the most games go mm. through like we don't have semi-finals or finals so so whoever wins the most you're lucky you're going through so the tournament kicks off on the first which i believe is this friday who do you guys have up first yeah. uh we have we are up against the mighty Papua new guinea uh. but we're looking forward to it <laughs> it's always we're always getting Papua new guinea first so yeah well, it's fitting in some ways. Uh, I read that you guys have won three matches this year, played five, yeah. and your only two losses have been against Papua New Guinea. Is there a bit of a bit of a rivalry that's formed between <laughs> Vanuatu and Papua New Guinea in recent times? It is. It is. I mean, it's always like a fight between us on the field, but when we're off the field, we're such a good friends. But when it comes to game day, it's always that fight, whoever wants to win. So it's always, yeah, always a rivalry between us and Papua New Guinea. Well, I guess this time round, it's a it'll be a little bit of an advantage for you guys, given the tournament will be held in Vanuatu. How do you think yeah. that's going to play into things? I think it's going to going to be different because, like I said, we as a team we've been to get uh, through a lot this year, so everyone worked really hard having to play at home and having our home ground. So it's going to be interesting, and I believe everyone's just looking forward to play and fight. Tell us a little bit about how this works. I know only one team progresses from this, and they'll go through to the global qualifiers. So there, there really is a, a lot at stake for this tournament, isn't there? There's a lot. Like, I hope there is. They would allow two teams to go through, but no, it doesn't work like that. So if they win this one, whoever wins the qualifier, they go to the next qualifier. And has Vanuatu ever been past this stage of the qualifying rounds? 
never we're, we're hoping for this one hopefully we've never been to another state so this is our chance to shine hopefully you know, it is a T20. It is the shorter format of cricket. And I do believe the shorter format can be the most unpredictable. Have you got some big hitters, some girls that can go out there and, you know, and make a quick 30 if need be? Yeah, I, I like we have uh, Rachel and Falanda who are very much big hitters. That's all they do. So they like they they can go out there and make probably 20 runs mm-hmm. of five balls. I'm looking forward to play, but also watch them do their thing play they came in the field. If you were to make it there, what would a, a, a T20 World Cup qualification do for, for cricket in Vanuatu? Like I always said, this is one of the things that all the teams that look forward for. But for us, uh, we had a really not quite good year with the Cyclone and the boys were going to Papua New Guinea and losing. And this will you know, bring so much hope for the Vanuatu cricket and also for the girls. Yeah, it will mean a lot for Vanuatu cricket. Vanuatu skipper Selena Solman speaking with me there ahead of the T20 Women's East Asia Pacific Qualifying Tournament, which hits off today. And she'll lead Vanuatu against PNG. Meanwhile, other games will see the Cook Islands go up against Japan and Fiji face Samoa. To Rugby League now, where a festival of football is brewing in Port Moresby, which will host the nation's top local men and women's teams in a doubleheader grand final on Sunday. Garoka Lahanis and Enga Miox will face off in the men's Digicel Cup decider. Meanwhile, the curtain raiser will see the top two women's confederates, Southern and Highlands, do battle for the Women's Rugby League Championship. Nigel Hakula is a match coordinator at the PNG Rugby Football League, and he joins me on the line now. Nigel, Welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, no, it's not a not a problem at all. Now, 15,000, I understand, are expected to converge on the National Football Stadium uh, on Sunday for this event. Uh, just firstly, what's the excitement been like on the ground? Yeah, so as you said, uh, 15,000 and probably some extras uh, uh, in, in different corners of it. But um, look, it's been, the hype's been there for a while. Uh, the energy is really, you know, big. Rugby league, our number one sport. Um, a, a big. A, other codes will beg to differ, but it's been, uh, it's been, it's been a good week. The the energy is up. A lot of publicity about it, and and it's not just in Port Moresby, but all throughout the country. Now, look, I've always uh, loved the Digicel Cup. I think it's, it offers a, a great brand of football. It's it's fast, it's physical, it's exciting. Um, it's very colourful uh, as well. And I've always wondered because, you know, the, the PNG hunters, they're, they're typically considered the, the, the top senior side in, in PNG and, and probably rightly so given they play in the Queensland Cup. But in terms of locally, is there more interest in the Digicel Cup nationally just given, yeah, it's just a lot more local? Yeah, that's right. As, as as a lot of the teams are coming out from their respective uh, centres, so they have a following in the city wherever they are, wherever they're playing. And it's, I dare say, it's a little bit cultural, cultural and ethnic groups following their own teams. But uh, a lot of the franchises do have uh, contracted players from outside centres also. But it, it's sort of the pride of your, as we say, the pride of your house line. Uh, where you're from, so there's a lot big following there in the Digicel Cup, and uh, as Sunday will culminate in two very big uh, followings in the Miox and the Lahanis.
Well, let's talk about uh, those games now. We'll, we'll start with the women because this year marked the first ever expanded women's championship, uh, which saw representative sides uh, from the four Confederates face off over multiple weeks. Um, we had a guest in our program last week, actually, who was able to tell us uh, about that in a, in a really, really good way. Um, has it been a success so far? Oh yeah, it's been it's been a great success, uh, the, um, and great work to the high performance orchids guys from Eurith Tower. I think she was on last week. Mm. Uh, they've done an outstanding job. Uh, the women's women's game in Papua New Guinea's it's been there. It's just the pathway is getting through, and uh, I think uh, this concept that has now been brought forward has really unearthed a lot of talent. Also. From the first 17 orchids performance at the World Cup and the recent one, uh, my, the numbers out there is is ridiculous in terms of the women playing the sport. I was up in the Highlands last week, and uh, the girls' game there in the schools is is an indicator of uh, the need for such. And um, credit to our guys at the high performance as well for for opening up those pathways for the women's game. Yeah, no, it's great to hear. Obviously, there are plans to get a national women's competition uh, up and running by, I think it was 2025. Um, just on those two Confederates, they're going to play off the fi- play off in the finals quickly uh, with Southern and Highlands. Um, what are those two teams like? Have they been playing an exciting brand of football? Yeah, you could uh, look over the over the course of the two weeks. All all uh, four Confederates have been really impressive. Um, I say this because the level of skill that's now uh, starting to show in the women's game a lot more, a bit of cohesion, coordination in in the way they play in their defensive, attackive uh, structures. But these two teams stand out a lot more as as the game has been a lot more uh, pers- consistent in this in these areas. Southern's dominated for a long time, and uh, the Highlands is coming into into play now because they have about seven provinces that make up that confederate and almost all those provinces are playing so uh, that's a big spread um, of participants in the women's game that uh, are now starting to to filter their way into this uh, into this side so uh, it's going to be a good competition Uh, the highlands beat southern on wednesday and i managed to and they lost the, the, the week before the day before two days before to uh, get a place just on four and again. So I, I'm anticipating Southern will want to uh, make amends on Sunday. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Kyle Evans, and I'm talking to a match coordinator at PNG Rugby League Football, uh, Nigel Hakula, and we're talking all about this uh, Festival of Football Grand Final Day, which is brewing uh, in Port Moresby at the moment. That's going to take place at the National Football Stadium. Nigel, let's uh, move on and talk about the men's game, uh, Garoka Lahanis, uh, featuring the uh, Engen Miox. I actually had the coach of the Miox in our program uh, two or three weeks ago now after they'd won the uh, the minor premiership, um, they're actually going to be competing for their first grand final uh, since in about 20 years. I think that's when the, the last time they won their last one. Who's the favourite for this match going in? Oh, geez, I think uh, the Miocs, the Miocs would take that tag. So they've been uh, they've impressive, actually. They've, they've uh, managed to get through the whole season unbeaten. So they drew one game and uh, I think they just hold that mantle for 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 this season and into this game 
But the crowd favourite seemed to be looming out on the outside lane as Alahani's just the performances and showing a little bit of grit to get into this uh, final. They've come from uh, they've come from from the five, the bottom five, and they've worked their way into into uh, into the grand final. So I'm I'm saying the Miocs as favourites, but uh, Alahani's. So that's really not doesn't really place anything anyway. But I think the Miocs the favourites. One thing I've always found um, pretty interesting about the Digital Cup Finals format is that if you're the top team and, and you win all your game, you've only got to win one game uh, to make it to the grand final virtually. So uh, you don't essentially play for for two or three weeks. Um, do you reckon that's a, a disadvantage in some ways, given that uh, Lahanis might be a bit uh, a bit a bit fresher, having played you know uh, football more regularly over the last month or so? Yeah, no, it, it, you're 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 correct in saying that, and, and yeah, we, they've probably got that the momentum on side with you know as you play along in those tougher games and mm-hmm. the do or dies. You as you as you get uh, the wins, you build the confidence, so the momentum's on side, and uh, a lot of the teams that do get into the minor premier seat have that almost two weeks off because they have the week before, then they play, and then they have another week off, so. I guess it comes into a bit of mindset play and how they prep themselves in that off part before they reach the grand final. But the crowds here really play a big involvement as well. Also, mm. they're very uh, vocal and parochial in the way they get about their business here. And I'm anticipating it's going to be 50-50 because all the tickets are sold out. So whoever makes the loudest noise gets behind the team and I'm sure they'll ride that wave. Yeah, you mentioned that a lot of fans had uh, had made their way down uh, from the Highlands to support the to support the Miocs. What would a premiership, um, you know, mean to that region? I guess, given when you look at you know the last twelve months, has been some issues following the election in terms of violence and things like that. Yeah, one thing in Papua New Guinea is uh, you know, despite a lot of our challenges with uh, ethnic ethnic clashes and and um, internal problems and that, the sport does really have that uniting factor so now it could be a case of put down your weapons and let's just focus in on what's happening on Sunday and for the Miocs it'll be definitely a uniting uh, uniting thing and uh, they've had the challenges over the last couple of months the 12 to so many months of recent time so mm-hmm. we'd like to see we hope that rugby league can be this type of vehicle that brings the message of you know put those things down and share the peace and love amongst each other and um, I'm hoping that uh, that can be the message, regardless of the result. Uh, and um, yeah, both 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 provincial teams that are participating over the weekend. And and just lastly, Nigel, obviously there's been so much talk uh, as of late about you know PNG um, hopefully getting a, a team uh, in Australia's top tier competition, the NRL. You know. Grand final day, Digicel Cup uh, in Port Moresby. In some ways, I, I suppose this could offer a window into what rugby league, you know, could potentially look like uh, yeah, in PNG if they were to uh, if they were to get an NRL team. Just in terms of the the passion and the colour and things like that, is that fair to say? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, we probably wear our emotions a little bit on our sleeve and things, especially to do with rugby league and. Um, but that that's it. That would be a great indicator to see you know, what what is potentially there if uh, if a successful bid uh, comes in a couple of years' time. Um, regardless of the of the bid, the aim of PNG Rugby League is to 
to uh, improve our processes and systems within within our organization and our local leagues franchises and ensuring that we're we're delivering a brand that's sustainable and uh, and is growing and the women's game is an indicator of that and uh, you know hopefully in a couple of years time we'll, we'll have a women's grand final of digital cup measure or, or intercity measure and men's as well so whilst the nrl bid is a is a short long-term goal uh, there's a lot of work happening now to ensure that our community rugby league plans are being uh, implemented which allows the uh, participants to progress through to high performance levels and so on and so forth so i think uh, that's the work that's happening uh, underground behind the scenes to to ensure that what the sunday end of year competitions culminate in something that's successful and and um not just for the world to see, but for for Papua New Guineans and those in those places to come and and get a product that they can go away satisfied with. No, that's 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 awesome, Nigel, and we we can't wait to see how it plays out as well. Well said. That's all we've got time for today, Nigel, because we're about to run into the top of the clock. But thank you so much for joining us uh, on Pacific Beat. No worries. Have a blessed weekend, everyone. You too. That was Nigel Hakula, match coordinator at PNG Rugby Football League. And that does take us to the end of Pacific Beat. We'll be back at the same time on Monday morning at 6 a.m. PNG time. You can also hear us again this afternoon at 3, MB, at 3 p.m. PNG time. Stay tuned on ABC Radio Australia because the news is next, followed by Nija Daily. I've been your host, Kyle Evans. Have a fantastic sporting weekend.